I think he gets too much credit. I think he gets too much, uh, uh, takes up too much time in a lot of people's thoughts and minds and all that. But on the other hand, if we don't ever uh, talk about him, then we won't be able to know what his, uh, how he works and, and his strategies, and we won't be able to, uh, to resist him or, or, or combat him at all. So um, we're going to spend just this mini-series next few weeks on talking about when the devil knocks. Now, when Jesus began his ministry, <clears throat> if you've been around here at all, much, much at all, you know, you should know this well, that when Jesus began his ministry, his message was this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. He went around teaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Now to understand what, we're, what the implications that has and understand uh, what he means by that, that the kingdom of God has come, you have to understand a little bit of background. When, uh, when God created mankind, he gave mankind authority over all the earth. <clears throat> they, were, they were to rule and to exercise dominion over, over the, the whole earth. And everything was going along well. <clears throat> we don't know how long, but everything was going along well until one day. One day, the enemy came... Satan came in the, and, 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 and the form of a serpent, serpent and deceived Eve. And she and her husband Adam did the one thing that God had said they were not to do. You ever tell your kids they're not to do one thing? Just this one rule, this one thing you, you're, you're not to do. And what do they do? They go and do it. Well, that's what happened. They were, Adam and Eve, they, God told them they were not to eat the fruit of one tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could have fruit from any other tree, and there were lots of them. They could have anything they wanted except for the fruit for that one tree. And so they're there in the garden one day, and um, things are going along well, and uh, all of a sudden the enemy comes in and says, uh, boy, that uh, tree sure looks nice, doesn't it? Boy, look at the fruit on that tree. Oh, it's nice and ripe. It sure looks good. And he, he deceived them. He tricked them into eating from that fruit. And, and uh, through their disobedience, the act of eating the fruit of the one tree that God had, had forbidden them to eat from, they surrendered their authority and they surrendered their dominion of the earth to Satan. They gave the authority, they gave the, the rulership of earth to Satan, and Satan now becomes the ruler of this world. That's why Jesus referred to him several times as the ruler of this world. And that's the reason Satan could tempt Jesus to bypass the cross by offering him authority. He said, you can have, you, you, you can have all these kingdoms, you can, have, you can rule over all of them, you can have authority over all of them if you just do this one thing, bow down and worship me. He could make that offer to Jesus because the authority was, that had been given to man was then, had then been given to Satan. So Satan could legally offer it to Jesus. <clears throat> so when Jesus was preaching, he's saying the kingdom of God has come. 
Time's now. The kingdom is here. In other words, he is saying, God has come and he's taking over. God has come and he's taking authority back from the devil. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus decisively defeated Satan. But even though the outcome had already been determined, Satan continues to fight. There is a spiritual battle going on all around us. We are in the middle of it. In fact, our lives are the battlefield, and Satan is our enemy. We have a very real enemy, and we need to recognize that. We need to realize that. In this series, we're going to learn about how he works and how we can resist him. The Apostle James tells us, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we're going to talk about how he works and how to resist him. Warren Wiersbe, anybody here of Warren Wiersbe? An old-time pastor, preacher. Um, He's been on the air before and, and so forth. He's actually, I think, from the Indianapolis area, but anyway... He's like 89 now or something like that. He's authored like tons of books in that. He identifies three strategies that Satan uses to attack believers. He says that Satan is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Satan is the accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. And Satan is the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. And over the next three weeks, we'll be looking at each of these strategies. Because it's not a question of if we're under attack. The the fact is, we are under attack. Even though he he makes us his target, though, we don't have to be his victim. You need to realize that. Even though Satan makes us his target, we don't have to be his victim. So we're going to begin this series this week with the message, The Deceiver. Talking about the fact that he, dece- he attacks our mind with his lies. He is a deceiver. In John 8, some people were taking issue with Jesus calling God uh, his father. And at the same time, Jesus was questioning them over their legitimacy to the claim of you know, Abraham as, as their father. And, and, and this is what the, what the people said. You know, he, said, he said, we're not illegitimate. In other words, we're not illegitimate like you, Jesus. We know about Mary We know that she was pregnant with you before she married Joseph. We know the gossip mill has gone all about, has gone around your whole life. We know all about that. And we're not illegitimate like you, you know, making a reference that, that... that Mary became pregnant, you know, before before marrying Joseph. And and you know, they were they they were calling him illegitimate. And they said he said, the only father we have is God Himself. And to that, this is Jesus' response. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? Because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I want you to look at that last part again. He was a murderer from the beginning. Just after Jesus said their father was the devil, says he was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's a liar. 
Satan is a liar who attacks our minds with his lies. <clears throat> Let's think a minute. Let me ask you. Does anybody like to share a lie that he has attacked your mind with, that he has said to you? Anybody want to be bold enough to, to share something that the enemy has whispered in your ear that's a lie, and maybe it's been, yeah. He, 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 he lies to us all the time. Anybody? Yeah. Inadequate. You're inadequate. You'll never amount. What? It really doesn't matter. It really, or even, well, yeah, I'm going to come back to that. It really doesn't matter. That, 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 that's one he says all the time. Somebody over here said something. Nobody loves you. Yeah. Wasting your time. You can't change. Or you'll, you'll always be like this. Same thing, right? Or, you know, going back to what you said, you know, it doesn't matter. How about you don't matter? You don't make a difference. Or nobody loves you. Or, you know, how about you're unlovable? It's even... I mean, it just, it just gets in there. All these lies. Or everyone else is talking about you. Ever hear that one? The Bible's outdated. It's not relevant anymore. It's not relevant to our culture. You're the only one that's dealing with this. Or how about this one? You walk into a new church, you see everybody smiling before you get to really know everybody, and you hear this, everyone else here has it all together. <laughs> right? Have you, have, you, have you ever thought that? Everyone else has it all together. I don't know how many times <clears throat> I've heard people tell me when they first start, you know, first I said, when I first started coming, I thought, you know, I can't be myself. I can't share, you know, who I am because everybody else here, nobody else has problems. Everybody else has it all together. I have heard that over and over and over, and I just want to laugh. And I just think, are you kidding me? This place is filled with so many stories, but the amazing thing is they're stories of God's redemption. You know, nobody has it all together. That's the truth. We're just, you know, on this journey and, 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 and walking with Jesus, and we don't have it all figured out, but he does. So we're walking with the one who does. But all these things that he tells us, all these lies, you know, that, that, that he tells us, you know, or, or, or God doesn't mean that, or God just doesn't want you to have fun. He's always lying to us. And whenever we miss God, it's because somewhere along the line, we believed a lie. See, one thing about the devil, you got to give him credit for. He's consistent. He's consistent. Thank you. I don't know what happened to my throat. But he is consistent. He consistently lies. He consistently deceives. He consistently tells untruths. Thing is, we can learn a lot about how he lies to us by looking how he lied to Eve. So how did the devil lie to Eve? First thing he did is he came along and he 
questioned God's word. He questioned God's word. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. I mean, right off the bat, he questions whether or not, you know, God really said what he said. Did God really see? And it wasn't so much that he questioned that God had spoken. He didn't really question that God had spoken. He questioned what God had spoken. What did, you know, did God really say that? Is that really what he said? And he still does that all the time with people today. Did God really say that? Oh, but, but, okay, he may have said this, but he didn't mean that. Things are different today. That's outdated. People have advanced. Society has advanced. We've evolved since then. That was for then, but that's not for today. Besides, if God really loved you, wouldn't he want you to have fun? Would he stop you from doing something that's going to bring enjoyment and joy into your life? What does it matter as long as we love each other? Satan began by asking Eve, did God really say that? And in doing so, he's being very subtle. In doing so, he's implying that God is, for some reason, holding something back from her. Something that she can see is good. The fruit looked good. It was pleasing to the eye. Now, <clears throat> we don't know what kind of fruit it was. People say apple, but we don't know what kind of fruit it was. But for the purposes of illustration, <laughs> let's use a watermelon. Now, I know watermelon don't grow on trees. In order to see if it's really ready and ripe, you have to see into it, past the, you know, the rind, okay, or whatever it's called, the green thing. You have to be able to see, so, so you know, I, I, I know all of that, but um, uh, let's just say that there's a watermelon hanging on a tree, okay? It was a watermelon tree, and, and since the fall, since that was a fruit involved, they started growing on the ground, okay? I, look, we're just pretending, all right? All right. Nobody accused me of heresy here, I'd, I'd tell you. Anyway, she can see through the rind. She sees that it's a deep red color. And not only that, but that tree is one of those self-chilling trees. Okay? I mean, so it, I, she can see it's a deep red color, and it's chilled to the perfect temperature. And, and there's juice, just the juice is so sweet. And it's just starting to ooze out of it. And there's, there's no good reason why she shouldn't be able to grab hold of that juicy, red, ripe watermelon and just sink her face into it and enjoy it. We have a video of, uh, I should have thought of it ahead of time, I'd love to play it. Um, uh, every year we go to a, a, a lake, spend a, a few days on a lake in Ohio, and uh, we have a, a, a video a couple of years back of AJ in the kitchen. There's this large 
uh, almost really commercial kitchen with this island in the center. And, and AJ, our grandson, is, is standing, or not standing, sometimes he does stand where he shouldn't, but he's seated on a stool at that counter, and he's got a piece of watermelon in front of him. Susie, you know the video. And, and he just... I mean, he just goes to town on that thing. And it's so great. I mean, can you tell I love watermelon too? Oh, man, it's just so good. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's no good reason. Eve's looking at thinking why she can't just do that, why she can't just, you know, dig into that and let the juice run down her face and all. I mean, why would God possibly want to withhold that good thing from her? If he's a good God, why would he say no? See, Satan was implying that God was withholding something good from her. When she could see that it was pleasing to the eyes, he's implying there's no good reason why God said no to this one. He's holding you back from something that is good. See, when you start to question the goodness of God, then it becomes easier to disobey the will of God. Right? When you start to question the goodness of God, it's easier to disobey the will of God. When you don't really believe that God is good, you will hesitate at every instruction that he gives you. Truth. God is good. Always. At all times, in all circumstances, in all he does, he is never not good. When we believe that, then it becomes easy to trust him. Because we know that no matter what things may look like, he has our best interest in mind. And if he says, do this or don't do this, then we can know that it's in our best interest to obey him because he loves us and he's always good. Even when we're looking at something that's like we really want and God has said, hands off. No matter how ripe that watermelon is, if God says, nope, you're not having that one, there's a reason behind it and the reason is good because God is good. When we question his goodness, it becomes easier to disobey what he says. So Satan questioned what God said. Did he really say you can't have the tree, the fruit from that tree in the garden, or, or, or from any tree in the garden? And, you know, he's, 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 he's questioning it. He's, he's questioning God's goodness and, and, you know, questioning what God said to Eve. And then he twisted God's word because the deceiver twists God's word. That's what he does. Genesis 3 again. Listen to what Satan said. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat fruit, the, uh, 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 when you eat fruit from it, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. Said the one who originally fell by saying, I am going to be like God. I'm going to exalt myself and be like God. See, now he's trying to play that with Eve. 
It's like, okay, that may be what God said, but the fact is, nah, you're not really going to die. He said that because he knows that as soon as you eat it, you're going to be like him. And, and he doesn't want that. He doesn't want anyone to be like him. He wants to hog himself to all to himself. He wants to be the only one. He doesn't want anybody else like him. He, you know, he, he doesn't, certainly doesn't want you to be like him. He's just looking out for himself. He doesn't care about you. If he did, why would he keep you from enjoying that red, ripe, sweet, juicy watermelon? I mean, doesn't that look good? See, Satan is twisting God's word so that he can get you to question God's motives. If he can get us to question God's motives, then what has he done? Once again, he's gotten you to doubt God's goodness. The spiritual battle that you and I are in is very real. And the enemy, you know, I mean, he's, he's already lost the war, but he is still putting up a fight. He's a defeated enemy, but he's still fighting. He knows what's going down. He knows he's going down. And all he wants to do now is just take you down with him. <clears throat> but here's the thing. God already defeated Satan when Jesus rose from the grave. Satan was defeated. Satan's biggest enemy, or, or, enemy, biggest weapon was death. And Jesus just broke through that. So even though you're in the battle thing you need to realize is you're fighting from a place of victory. You're in the battle, but you're coming from a place of victory because Jesus already won, and in Christ, you've already won. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, 17, said, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Put salvation on as your helmet. Helmet. In other words, let salvation be your mindset. Let that be your thinking. Don't fall for the lies and the deception of the enemy. Know the truth. Know where you stand with God. Know whose you are. Know that the enemy is already defeated. And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, I mean, there's a reason why Satan attacks God's word. It's because it's the only offensive weapon that we use against him. Everything else is defensive. Everything else is for our protection and that. But the only offensive weapon is God's word. God's word is how we keep our enemy from running roughshod over our lives. We resist him by knowing and standing on God's word. After Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days in the wilderness tempted by the devil. And Satan, is, Satan was doing everything he could to take Jesus out. He said, I'm going to nip this in the bud, kind of like Barney Fife. I'm going to nip it. I'm going to nip it in the bud. You know? well, the older folks laughed at that. Okay, you're with me. <clears throat> and he says, but I'm, I'm going to take him out. So, so when Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness, he's fasting and, and praying, and Satan comes to take him out, and he tempts him. He was doing everything he could. He prayed on his, physical, on his weakened physical condition, you know, weakened by 40 days of fasting. He said, turn this bread into stone. I mean stone into bread. Turn this bread into I tell you, getting older really does do something to your mind, doesn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. Turn, turn this, these stones into, in, in, into bread, you know? And it's like, man, you know, fresh-baked bread, boy, that smells so good, especially if you had meat in 40 days. Uh, you know, and then Jesus attacked his identity, tried to trick him into proving that he was the Son of God. Throw yourself down. See if the angels, you know, the angels will catch you. The angels will catch us. what it says in the Word. So just throw yourself down and, and, and prove who you are. And he offered him a shortcut to avoid the suffering, the torture of the cross. You know, hey, I, I'll just give you all these kingdoms right now. I'll give you all the authority over this, all, all these kingdoms right now. You don't have to go to the cross to get it. You don't have to be crucified. Yeah. I'll just give you, all you got to do is just bow down and worship me. Just one time. Now, did he have the authority to give him all the... Yes, he did. And do you think Jesus wanted in his human body to go to the cross and go through the suffering? Are you nuts? He knew what it was going to be like. So this was a real shortcut. The thing is, Jesus would cease to be who he was. Jesus isn't about to bow down to, to Satan and worship him. So how did he fight? How did Jesus fight him? By taking up the word of God, by taking up the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He used the word of God. He used the sword of the spirit to, you know, to, 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 to defeat the enemy. It is written. We do the same thing today. The same weapon is available to us, but only if we know what is written. That's why we put such an emphasis on reading and studying God's word on a regular basis, because it is our weapon for keeping the enemy from running roughshod over our lives. It's truth. It gives life. It gives hope. There is power in God's word. The writer of Hebrews tells us, for the word of God is alive and it's powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires of our hearts. It's alive and it's powerful. Some translations say it's living and it's active. I like what the Greek Hebrew or Hebrew Greek key study Bible says the word of God contains a potency which when unleashed successfully accomplishes its purpose. In other words it has power to counteract the enemy's attacks in your life but only if you know what it says. Otherwise you won't even know to pick it up. Let me, let me tell you this. If you've never seriously read or you know, studied the Bible, I want to give you a challenge. 
Every, every year I give a challenge at the beginning of the year to read through the Bible or you know, if you're, if you're new to, to, just, to it, just maybe read through the New Testament. I want to give you a challenge. If you're new to the Bible, if you've never seriously read it or studied it, this is the middle of October, okay? It's the middle of October right now. We've got two and a half months left of the year. Between now and the end of the year, read through the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell the first four books of the New Testament. They tell the, the, the story of the life of Jesus from four different people's perspective, okay? Starting today until the end of December, read through all four, if you're new to this. That works out to less than a chapter and a half a day, just under a chapter and a half, okay? So it's not too much reading. Read it and find out who Jesus was. Listen to what he did, or look, yeah, li li listen to what he said and, and, and look at what he did. And, and see your life through his eyes. I like what Andy Stanley said. I just heard him say this the other day. <clears throat> if somebody predicts their own death, if only, let me start over. If somebody predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, we should go with whatever that person says. <laughs> right? Think about it. If somebody predicts their own death and resurrection and then pulls it off, we should go with whatever that person says. I think that makes pretty good sense, don't you? I mean, I would agree with that. Read the Gospels. Take note of when Jesus predicted his own death and his resurrection. And, and in the Gospels, he often his favorite term for himself was the Son of Man. When he's talking about the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, okay? So read through and mark every time where he predicts his own death, his own resurrection, and see what happens at the end of the book. See whether or not he pulled it off. And then decide who you're going to believe. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, or the one who's the father of lies, who tells us that Jesus was just a guy that lived a couple thousand years ago, talked a lot about brotherly love, and, and you know, but he's really not relevant for today and has no power today. Which one are we going to believe? Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he pulled it off. On the third day after he was crucified, he rose from the dead. So when he says that, you know, he is the truth, we can take that to the bank. He is the truth. And I would agree with Andy Stanley that, yeah, I think we need to pay attention to whatever he says. I want to ask how many people have a picture of Jesus hanging on their wall at home somewhere, you know, or, or here. I think we've got some around the building in that. And I, typically, you see this fair-skinned with long flowing hair, often blue eyes, you know, totally unlike, you know, totally unlike the, the Middle Eastern man that Jesus, you know, was. But, you know, we, we, have you ever tried to picture him, though? I wonder what Jesus, you know, is like, you know, walking up to him one day, you know, like, what does he look like? 
Well, after Jesus died and he was resurrected and he ascended into heaven, he appeared to John. And John tried to write down what Jesus looked like, tried to give us a word picture. And this is what he says. It's in Revelation 1. His head and his hair were white like wool. So if you've got white hair, right away, you're like Jesus, okay? Okay, his head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. In other words, he's one that has stood through the fire, has gone through the fire. And if he's gone through the fire, he knows how to take you through the fire, whatever it is you're going through. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp, two-edged sword came from his mouth. His word is powerful. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now that's a picture of power. Let's not be guilty of underestimating what God can do or the power of his word. Let's not buy into the lie the deception that he was just somebody that lived a couple thousand years ago and really doesn't know anything about life in the 21st century in the Western world, in America, in Indiana, in Bloomington, in my neighborhood, in my house, doesn't really know what's going on with my life because he was so far removed from the struggles I have, from the difficulties I have, the challenges I face. Let's not buy into that. I read an article the other day, actually yesterday, about how witchcraft is becoming more popular with many millennials because there's a hunger and a thirst for something spiritual. But rather than embracing truth, so many are falling for deception. And is there power there? Yeah. The enemy's not powerless. He has power. I mean, there's, there's, there's real power there. But it can't match the power of Jesus and the power of God's word. The best defense against deception is the knowledge of the truth. Right? I, I, I think most of us have heard that when uh, they, a banker is trained to handle money, you know, and they're trained to spot counterfeits not by, you know, studying a counterfeit bill and looking into that and seeing, oh, yeah, see, the, the paper's a little different than that. They're trained by handling the real thing enough times that, you know, that, you know, when, they're, when, it, when the counterfeit hits their hand, they feel it right away. They sense it right away. They can recognize it because they're so familiar with the real. I, you know, like, like I said, I... I don't like to talk about the devil a lot because I don't think that's where our focus should be. But at the same time, I think that we need to be aware of his tactics. We need to be aware of his strategies so that we can recognize and resist him. And that's why we're doing this series.
And that's why I hope you'll come back for the next two weeks and listen as we talk about the other strategies that he's trying to work at in our lives. Let's have the worship team come on up.